0: To humans leading humans towards a future of work that works for people, a smorgasbord of snackable stories to help you be a more effective leader. My guest this week is a wonderful woman called Isabel Naidu, who heads up inclusion and talent across FIS Global. It's a 55,000 person company. If you can drive change inside an organization that complex, you can drive change anywhere. And she has, by nurturing environments where people thrive. We had a quick chat earlier. The three stories you're about to hear will inspire you. They inspire me. They will fill you with the confidence you need to be courageous. She'll talk about standing true to your vision and standing strong, even when those around you try to fill you with a doubt. But first, let me explain why you should dedicate 20 ish minutes of your precious time to this podcast every week. If you work inside a complex organization, whether that be private or public and you work with humans, If you lead teams or are charged with making change stick and you're finding it really hard, bring on, humans leading humans. This is your audio fuel kit, packed with the stories and the tools and the inspiration we all need to shine as leaders. It's for those times, When you need to be re-energized, to be inspired, to believe you can succeed, because here's the thing. Leaders across the world have succeeded. They have proved that you can get change to stick if you start from where people are. If you put empathy into practice. So. I'm on a quest to collect those stories to give you the courage and the know-how to lead more human. Next week's guest is Svint Surf. Oh my God, I'm so excited about that one. I've got to say I'm a total fan girl. He will share warts and all stories about how the Internet came to be and then how the interplanetary Internet came to be. If you think that your task is complex, just imagine that. And then the week after that, I'm going to be talking to a dear friend and change maker, Harley Dubois, who is the chief culture officer of the Burning Man Foundation. So Burning Man changed the way that I see the world of work completely. So I can only imagine which of her many, many, many insights and stories she will choose to share. Now, I said last week that I would collect stories at our clubhouse room, but I've had a lot of people tell me how much they are loving this podcast. And thank you guys. I want to say it means a lot to me. It gives me the energy to keep going. So please, please, please reach out if you are loving this. But I also heard that short is sweet. And I should get to the interviews quicker. Now, you will know by now that I fully believe that everything can be better. Always. So, I've listened. If you want me to put this chapter back in, please use the contact form on our website. Or indeed, if you work inside a large corporation and you are struggling to make change stick, please go to www.wearebeep.com because we would love to help. But enough of that. Let's get to the good bit. The bit you've been waiting for, Isabel Naidu, who is a positive powerhouse of a woman. So, Isabel Naidu, I am so, so, so delighted that you're going to be my fourth interviewee on this podcast. So tell all the people who are listening to this, what have you done? And who are you?
1: So I run a function called Inclusion and Talent at FIS. FIS is a provider of tech solutions for merchants, banks and capital markets firms globally. And prior to that, I used to run HR for a fast-growing consultancy organisation and have held various roles at Accenture as well um, throughout my time. So I am really driving transformational change across a whole range of talent and people strategies. But really, what's more important for me is that I'm on a mission that, you know, my personal vision is that people are fulfilled at work. And I'm really trying to bring that to life in the work that I do and in the way that I operate and navigate this world that we find ourselves in.
0: And it's working. My goodness, isn't it working? Okay, so I shared the CREATE framework with you and asked you to think about three short stories that the people who are listening to this can be inspired by, can learn from, so that they can feel brave enough to drive the level of success that you have. So what's your first story? Well, my first story
1: is about one of the favorite jobs that I ever had, which is one that I made up. Because um, I realized as I was going through my career and I looked back on it, thinking about these stories for you, cats, that one of the things that made me tick was having impact And that's been a very deliberate sort of short term goal for me throughout everything that I've done. So I was um, working in Madrid for for a few years and I've been brought up, you know, traveling and moving country every three years or so i've been in madrid for seven years and i thought wow this is the longest i've ever been anywhere i need to you know i need to get out i need to do something different and i asked for a transfer to london and it was in financial services consulting working with accenture and i got involved in running a program called the accenture business partnership scheme with vso vso is the world's largest volunteering charity And we had this scheme whereby people could take a leave of absence and take a small salary and, you know, go and volunteer with VSO. And I managed to negotiate that this was something that I wanted to do a day a week, right? So four days a week doing my consulting job, which really is six days a week, but that's okay. And a day a week doing this VSO setup. And we expanded the scheme. And it was just amazing. And I realized that actually I wanted to make this a full-time role. I was so fired up with the fact that having purpose was giving me such satisfaction. And it felt like the right thing to do. So I crafted a business case as to why the company should invest in the CSR program in the UK and Ireland. And this is way before CSR is the buzzword that it was, you know, that it is today. And I remember, you know, I was very, very lucky because there was a lady who was running corporate citizenship, as it was called there, Jill. and, And she was such a massive sponsor and mentor of mine. And she really encouraged me. She saw the need and she gave me that helping hand and that to sort of craft what this business case would look like and I went to speak to the managing director at the time who was also the chap who sort of brought me over from Madrid to London and he listened to what I had to say and he said this will be the death knell of your career Isabel and I thought oh my gosh what am I doing you know I'm so ambitious and is this the right thing but honestly Katz I just thought this has to be this is the right thing to do it's the right thing to do for the business. It's going to help us win work because increasing the RFPs were asking, you know, for what we were doing around CSR. I had Jill on my side who was encouraging me. So I put it together. I pitched my case to the local leadership team. And you've got to imagine, you know, I hadn't been in the UK for even a year. And I'm standing in this room with all these very, very important men, one woman who was running it at the time um, and, and sort of stood up and made this case and I took all these different elements so I'm thinking about you know empathy and your framework for example I was like right I need to get them to empathize and they're all going to believe in something slightly different like the head of HR is going to be thinking about new recruits and engagement and so on and the the folks are out in the business and you know pitching for work are going to be thinking about well how that's going to help me win business so I threw in all these different elements around RFPs and I also threw in that I thought a senior manager should be running the function right that they should create this function it should be run by a senior manager so I was pitching my Myself at the time because I was a manager. But yeah, looked around the room, felt very nervous, but I did it and I got the job and, and, and it was amazing. I mean, we built out all these volunteering programs, we looked at charitable giving, we set up environmental measures, we won awards, became, you know, on the map with business in the community. It was a really well-esteemed sort of uh, thought leader in that space. And, and I loved it. And it had impact and it engaged my brain. It was really an amazing role. And, and interestingly, one of the people who joined my team and then this amazing, amazing manager, Camilla, she still runs that um, team. She's expanded it and taken it on to even greater things. She's extraordinary. Um, but yes, still going strong for, for that company today. And really, that was about empathy. And it was about communicating, definitely,
0: because you had to communicate with all these people. But it was also about courage. Maybe courage is missing in the framework. I love that. I think we should definitely have courage. We've um, community has been suggested, but we'll add courage to that as well. And that must have been a moment when your managing director, your your key sponsor, yeah, said that to you. What gives you the brave? What gives you the courage to step forward and go? I know this feels right because you listen to your gut.
1: Yeah, I do listen to like that, and you know, having a having a sponsor in this Lady Jill was incredible. So there was somebody who could bounce ideas off. I think it makes you stronger in some ways when you have someone who gives you that kind of opposition because it really forced me to hone that business case. You know, maybe if he hadn't said that, I wouldn't have been as strong on the RFP component or some of those other elements. So sometimes when you're faced with really difficult feedback like that, then it can actually turn out to work in your favour in in a way. So, but I'm not I'm not gonna lie. I mean, it was a terrible
0: thing to hear it was a terrible thing to hear and it worked out okay but yeah it was not easy I think yeah I think that's the thing isn't it when you're when you're when people push back on you you've got two choices you've got the choice of going eek maybe I shouldn't be doing this or I need to listen to this because there is something to be learned from everything that everybody says to me and that's not easy so you know god what a journey and what story
1: I was just mm-hmm. going to say on that, you know, I work my my boss at the moment, lady, a wonderful lady called Denise Williams. She's just extraordinary, and she is just so expert at listening discerningly. It's something that I'm really trying to learn from her. So if someone has something to say, listen, listen discerningly to what they're saying, because what sits behind that, there'll always be a lesson in there for you. So I I, I really I watch her in awe and think I want to do it. Better. So that's something I'm trying to get better at. Actually.
0: And no matter how uncomfortable it is,
1: and no matter how uncomfortable, yes. Feedback
0: is a gift, even if it doesn't always feel like that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly that. <clears throat> so you saw what was happening. You saw a clear need. You turned that into an opportunity. You turned that into a new job. You pitched it in and it had a big impact. And again, just replay the impact that it's had. Well, the impact that it had, you know, at the time was we we obviously saw a
1: a massive uptick in terms of employee engagement and people engaging with what we were doing. We saw recruits starting to ask about the programs and citing that as one of the reasons. Um, We saw our ability to even pitch for work based on some of the environmental standards and other things that we were pushing um, became easier, and we won awards. So it was pretty tremendous. I mean, there, there was a a really solid, you know, global sort of perspective and impact that was happening at a macro level for Accenture but in the UK and Ireland we didn't have that kind of presence so there was a real opportunity for us and, and, it, and it worked and it's still working I mean they're doing extraordinary things now I've watched them um, in awe actually at what that's become.
0: And, and I think you were also saying that, that you made damn sure there was somebody who was empowered to take on your role, to fill your yeah. shoes when you left. She was
1: always going to do great things. But yes, she was, she was amazing to work with and has since gone on to develop that in ways that we couldn't even possibly have conceived of when I stood there in that room quivering as to whether it's going to be the death knell of my career or not.
0: OK, that was a brilliant story. And I'm sure that everybody's listening to it is, it's so hard And you know, everybody tells these stories, like I came up with this idea and I made it happen and it had impact, but that's not the truth. There are always moments where we feel terrified Mm -hmm. and you have to go to bed at night and you wake up in the morning going, oh. And just hearing these stories, I think hopefully will help everybody, no matter what they're doing, no matter what level of leadership they're in to just be able to go, I can do that. I can do that. Yeah. What's your second
1: story? Well, the second story is kind of related to that, actually, which is this observation that I have, which is everybody is winging it. And if there's one thing that I want to make sure that my children have, and I've got three of them, and I want to make sure that my team have, um, it's confidence. And one of the things that I see all too often in the workplace is people held back by lack of confidence in themselves or their ideas. And of course, you know, people have written about imposter syndrome, this idea that you're going to be exposed as a fraud, that you don't deserve to be someplace. And the thing is, we all feel like that sometimes. And there are multiple reasons for why that might be. It might not be you, it might be the environment that you're in. But most people don't admit it, you know, they don't admit to the this lack of confidence. And when I entered the workplace, it definitely wasn't discussed at all, but I was prepared And the story that I wanted to share, which had such a massive impact for me in terms of how I then went on to build and manage my career was when I finished my degree, I went to live in Singapore. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do job wise. You know, I didn't really have a long term plan and I made my way to Southeast Asia. My parents were there at the time and I I learned to scuba dive, which was great. But I also trained as a teacher. So I did a, a teaching English as a foreign language course. And part of the course quite early on, you had to source some students, you had to teach them and you had to be observed. And the first time I was observed, I was was really nervous because, quite honestly, I didn't really know much about English. I mean, I spoke it because at home growing up, we always had English. My father was English. We had Spanish because my mother was Spanish speaking. And then we had whatever language or whatever country we were living in. So in theory, in theory, that should make for a great language teacher because you speak different languages. But it's completely different speaking the language to understanding how it's constructed, to teaching it. So I'm learning about grammar and sentence structure and all these things at the same time I was teaching it. So this day of the first observation, I was literally shaking and I was dreadful. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind, I was awful. And I could see the examiner, he was watching me and I was just thinking, oh, this is going so badly. And he sort of stopped the lesson can you imagine stops the lesson takes me to one side and thinking oh my gosh he's going to tell me I failed and he said I looked at him I said I was awful wasn't I and he looked at me and he said I'm going to give you some advice um for the people in there you are a teacher you are a teacher and I had this realization that if you choose to present yourself as someone that people will see you as that person that if you project confidence others will feed off it they've been trying to catch me out They weren't waiting to see if I made a mistake with my grammar or expecting me to know everything. They just knew me as their teacher. And and I just thought, gosh, how can I take that simple, simple sentence and take it forward with me in my career? And if you know what you know, then you're on your way to being whatever role it is you want to play. And I think that to bring it to life in the workplace, the best thing you can do is get an accurate gauge on how you're doing. So seek out feedback and, you know, find out where you need to develop. And the more self-aware you are, the more confident you can feel. So I'm on this mission to give people confidence um, and, and to create an environment really where everyone feels like they can be themselves at work without feeling like an imposter in some way. And, you know, all these people feel like imposters. I mean, I I read this thing about Albert Einstein felt like he was an imposter, you know. So you can't banish it entirely, but you can talk about it openly. And I think from an organisational point of view, you can create a culture that's open and welcoming of lots of different styles and approaches. You know, this isn't about everyone trying to be this gung-ho, confident person who can walk into a room. It's about... How do you get comfortable with what you know and what you don't know? And how do you get comfortable with the power of diversity, really, which is where imposter syndrome doesn't even get a look in? Because there are so many things that didn't work out for me, cats. And I think what you see when you look at someone is this confident, winging presentation of self. But everyone's path to what that looks like has taken many twists and turns along the way. So breathe deep. It's what I learned when faced with a difficult situation and remember what others see is different to what you're seeing within yourself and most people aren't waiting to catch you out. And that's true of the organization I work in actually as well now, you know, there's so many people here at FIS who want to help you find your own version of success, you know, and a culture that values and respects all these different styles and approaches. So I, I'd love to see more people take up that mantle.
0: Yeah, and I've, I've had the joy of working and I've seen you in action and I've seen, teams across FIS and, and felt that ability to be 100% themselves and to be vulnerable. Yeah. And that's way too rare. And it is incredibly powerful and drives impact. And drives impact.
1: And we keep seeing these stories of people, and they all have like this one type, isn't it? What's that about? I mean, everyone's versions of success were so different. We need to broaden those notions, I think, and show different styles and different
0: approaches. But yes. And also, I think, move away from stereotypes. One of the things that I find a lot when I'm working with companies, when we're working with companies, is that people talk about diversity and inclusion in a particular way, which doesn't feel very sexy. But it's like, let's strip all that away and just say, actually, as you said, Let's create an environment where people can show up and be 100% themselves. Totally agree. Totally agree. It's not so one-dimensional, the notions of diversity that we tend to use, actually. So how do we get
1: much clearer about that, much broader and I used to work in a, a company prior to FIS where we came up with this construct of being yourself at work. You know, that was the umbrella concept that we use for everything to do with inclusion and diversity. And it really helped to harness energy and get people to engage with it in a way that they could relate to rather than some predetermined singular notion of what diversity should or shouldn't be. So they, they still use that construct today, actually, I noticed recently on, on LinkedIn. So that's great to see.
0: I want to hear more about that. Tell me more about that.
1: Be yourself at work. I remember sitting in a room with a lady Hayden. She was called, and um, we had we came up with this idea of you know how we wanted to engage people more broadly around i and d and we were sitting there brainstorming. And I can't remember whether we were on the phone to we were trying to pitch this idea to, to do a campaign with the Guardian. And I can't remember if we were actually on the phone to the Guardian or at the time when we suddenly just came, we were brainstorming and coming up with ideas. And says, "Be yourself at work." That's it. And we literally stood up and high fived each other in our excitement. It was like, yes, we've landed it. And it was amazing. we got people, you know, um, tweeting and sharing posts of themselves with the hashtag Be Yourself at Work and giving their own identifier as to what it was that they wanted to be at work. So it was just so inclusive. It was really great. And I I wonder if she remembers high-fiving, but I certainly do remember high-fiving her in this little conference room with this Guardian journalist on the end of the line. It's like, yes, that's it. That moment when you're ideating, you know, when you're co-creating and you just come up with something, it's like, that's the one. You could never have come up with that on your own, but you can come up with it if there are multiple people.
0: Brilliant. Brilliant. And not surprisingly so. So um, your last story. My third story is that,
1: um, you know, I've long believed, as I've just said, you know, that you don't have to have all the answers to lead a function in something or to do anything, really. As long as you surround yourself with great people and you're savvy enough to know that there's a lot that you don't know. So I've used this approach consistently. In my first ever HR role, for example, the first thing I did was hire someone to work at my side with a solid background in HR operations. And if someone asked me how many people work in my team, I'd glibly say 70,000, because technically all colleagues across FIS have got a role to play in our people agenda. And we really tried to bring this to life in so many ways. So a couple of years back, we wanted to redefine how we were doing performance management. And rather than you know a group of HR people sitting in a room and deciding what was gonna be done, We told our employees we're going to redefine how it's done and we started with crowdsourcing the new name so that's how we ended up with this name of performance 365 so we had this intent that performance should be regular should be based on open dialogue anytime feedback And we ended up using data, we did surveys, we did statistical modeling, we did focus groups, and we just co-created what the approach should be and what the solution should be. And we ended up with 250 champions across the company, not just to create it, but then to drive and implement this new approach. And they did the most extraordinary job. I can't tell you cats. It was just amazing watching it unfold. I mean, so creative. Um, And and launching in ways that resonated with, you know, their environment and their local culture. So we ended up with like a radio show in Milwaukee and donuts, branded donuts in Minnesota and bingo in Sydney and feedback stickers in India. It was just unbelievable. The actual solution itself was quick and easy. And it was a real compelling business case for dialogue because we know that people who receive more regular feedback are more likely to stay. But what was great about it was this idea that we weren't coming up with the answers. It was based on all these people trying to solve the challenge. So we've got incredible participation then as well Want to be implemented. And we get really good feedback on the quality. And we used a similar approach to co-create values and culture. So we had a massive acquisition in FIS a couple of years ago. And we said again, right, we're going to get together with everybody. And, and they can tell us what they think our values and culture should be. Now we're coming together as these organisations. And so we engaged over 28,000 of our colleagues in total through focus groups and workshops and an all-colleague pulse survey, just amazing. Worked with, again, just such talented people around me with performance. I worked with this lady, Kinde, and many others who fed in and co-created that, Josh on my team. It was just so much Fun. And then with culture, I worked with this ex consultant called Nick and, you know, working hand in hand and running all these focus groups and culture interviews and getting people to tell us what values and behaviours were important to them. It was just amazing. You know, we ended up with these three core values. So, you know, win as one team, lead with integrity, be the change and all these supporting behaviours and launched that people felt like they'd had a part in that, they'd had a stake in it. You know, we, are, we estimated over 75% of our leaders were involved, actually in that and 28,000 people touched it in some way so of course the implementation of that co-created approach is going to be
0: stronger maybe co-creation should be in there too perhaps i completely agree with you and and listening to that story makes me heripulate the hairs on the back of my neck are standing up with pleasure because if you'd have gone in as somebody's just had you're just taking on a very senior role in hr it's not really your thing the pushback could have been terrible so what do you do you give people a voice you don't tell them what's going to happen you ask them what should happen and also i mean one of the things that we find when we're working with people we talk about what behaviors are your cultures based upon and they'll say oh i've got no idea hang on a second i'll go and have a look in the hr folder well that's not what behaviors are and actually if you don't co-create with people it's the same as bringing in a branding agency to do your brand. I totally agree. I totally agree. And I
1: think it can be a little bit aspirational, but they need to be authentic. They need to be authentic. People need to see them, you know, they need to be able to touch them and feel them and have examples of what they are. That's one thing that, you know, Nick and Heather on the employee experience team have been doing so beautifully is, well, how do we translate that into reality for folks? So that employee experience actually matches and then they understand and they recognize that's one of the values and the behaviors when they see it. So, and and using all these networks of people who are so passionate about, and there's many great people at FIS, wanting to help and do the right thing.
0: There are, and I think there's something there about, you know, I mean, y- you are very aware of the fact that you need to reward people, you need to recognise, you need to mm-hmm. incentivize these behaviours, and people need to internalise what these behaviours actually look like when they're manifested, and so many yeah. cases, they haven't quite got that yet. Exactly. <clears throat> well, we have it's a corporate behaviour list. <laughs>
1: We have a corporate home, yeah, they're on our wall somewhere, yes, that's right. Yeah,
0: all. exactly, exactly. Okay, well, three amazing uh, stories. Oh,
1: Katz, can I just sneak one more in, because I've always had a problem with scope creep, and I have got one more <laughs> I would love to share.
0: <laughs> I love the way you're going to break the former. You're I'm <laughs> going to break your format and give you four.
1: four. I'm going to give you four, because this is something that's happened relatively recently, and I think it sort of also really embodies so much of what's going on in that Create framework, and you know well so one of the teams that I run is the global learning team. So we deliver all our training. And when we when the pandemic was declared and everything went online, you know, we moved to over 95% of our employees working from home in a matter of weeks. It was a, a very difficult time and still is for many people. But at that time, what we saw was a huge uptick in people accessing learning and training materials and so on. And someone approached um One of our our learning leaders in the UK and said, oh, my my partner works for a local government organisation. We loved one of these courses you did on resilience or whatever it was. And could she have access to the materials? And when the learning leader came to me and asked me this, I was like, could she have access? We should do something else. Imagine if we actually put out all of our learning material out there for the community What if we turn this on its head and rather than here's one individual who'd like to access it, what if we just made it freely available for folks who might need it? Because we put so much investment and time into thinking through all these elements of pivoting and resilience and thriving in a virtual world and well-being focus. And so we came up with this construct of FIS Community Classroom and started running these monthly sessions for, you know, not-for-profits and local government organizations and anyone really to sign up to and, you know, what I uh, sort of thought thinking about it and I think about when people are trying to come up with an idea and try and get it over the line. And I always start with that. What if scenario? What if we really did this? What if we could have an impact in a different way? And, you know, the things that I thought were going to be barriers, like I thought maybe there'd be a barrier around IP or a barrier with, you know, our legal folks saying, well, you shouldn't do this. Or somebody saying, you know, this is going to be really challenging. But none of them were there. People wanted to do it. They wanted to do the right thing and they could see the impact and the potential impact it could be. So don't create perceived barriers if you have an idea that you want to implement. I think you'll be surprised how you might come across other unexpected barriers, but you might be surprised how your perceived ones are not the ones that are going to cause you a challenge.
0: I love that. So actually, you went to a meeting where everybody's busy being busy. They've got massive challenges with life-work balance. And you say, imagine if we could just give things away to these groups. Of course, people then are inspired. They have a purpose. Then people want to jump in. And I always find that the more your teams have a sense of purpose, the more productive and efficient they are. Totally agree.
1: Totally agree. That's that empathy point as well, isn't it? It's about creating that scenario that people can relate to and the vision. Maybe vision, but vision doesn't start with a C R E A T E. But something about sort of what's that purpose and vision that you're you're putting out there for folks to buy into
0: that creates that energy and excitement around it. What is the difference you're going to make, Isabel? This has been the most extraordinary and, as always, incredibly inspiring session. Brilliant stories. Love the fact that you totally broke the format. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for (laughs) the opportunity. Thank you for letting me break it. But before we leave. Co-creation, being our thing. What shall we call this episode of Humans Leading Humans? Why don't we
1: call it something, does it have to be something really pithy? Could it be something like Better Together? Because there's something about how getting more brains than one is really the leitmotif for everything that I'm doing here. It's not about Isabel, it's about what we're able to do as a team or with all these multiple voices. So maybe we can play with that and find a title in there.
0: Absolutely beautiful. And Better Together is what this will be called. Thank you so much, Isabel. Thank you, Katz. Thank you so much, Isabel. You are an inspiration. Lovely listeners, I hope that you enjoyed that as much as I did. But I fiercely believe that everything can be better always. So I wanna hear your thoughts. What did you love? What resonated? What could I do better? What do you want more of? Who do you think deserves to join my list of imaginal guests? So if you've got any suggestions or comments, or of course a story that might inspire listeners, please DM us on Twitter at BeepMindShift or just DM me on LinkedIn, KatzKeeley. Of course, I'm easy to find. Next week's guest is Vint Cerf. He will share warts and all stories about how the internet came to be and thereafter the interplanetary internet. So as I said, if you're thinking what you're doing now is complex, just imagine that. God, I can't, honestly, I can't wait for that. I'm a bit of a fangirl. And then the week after that, I'll be talking to the incredible Harley Dubois from Burning Man. As I say, Burning Man changed my life. You've got a lot to learn from her. And then the week after that, it's John Hagel, whose new book, The Journey Beyond Fear, launches today. So do go and have a look at that? It seems extremely relevant after hearing Isabel's stories of fearlessness you have been listening to humans leading humans towards a future of work that works for people this podcast is brought to you in partnership with the marketing society and ps if you're a senior leader and you need the know-how and network to succeed and you're not already a member you should totally head over to their website and become part of that tribe A massive thanks for Super Terrania, for the magical sting of stings. Go to www.wearebeep.com to find out more about the CREATE framework and how we support companies by unlocking the problem solving potential of humans. Thank you so much for joining me. Please subscribe. You don't want to miss any of this storytelling magic. Be inspired. Be imaginal. Be more human and see you next week.